Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. Got two great interviews for you. One with Kansas head coach Bill Self. Fresh off the Jayhawks getting a lot of good news this spring. Yudoka Azubuke coming back. Sylvia D'Souza winning as an appeal. So they got immense front court next season. Devin Dotson returns, withdraws from the draft. Now they did lose Quentin Grimes to the transfer portal after he withdrew. But three for four is not bad. We're going to talk to Bill Self about that. Louisville head coach Chris Mack, huge windfall from the early entry withdrawal process as he gets Jordan Awara and Stephen Enoch back for the Cardinals as they will be one of the best teams in the ACC. Speaking of that, last week, after the deadline, late last week, my Power 36 up on the website, NCAA.com. It was posted all over March Madness. Went with Michigan State, still my number one team in the country. So uh, not a surprise there because they weren't touched by the NBA early with entry process. I mean, they knew they were going to basically lose Nick Ward. So that's not a shocker. But, you know, after that, you know, I've seen a lot of different versions of teams that certainly could be in the two through five positions. You know, for me, uh, I sort of debated about where I'm going to put all these different teams. But, you know, I, I think that Kentucky and Duke and Memphis, because of their recruiting class, uh, they're all going to be in the mix for, you know, that top five in the preseason. And so for these purposes, you know, I went with Kentucky two and then Duke at three. Memphis, because of that recruiting class, I put them at four. Uh, And then I didn't want to get burned again. And this really five through eight could go any direction. But I had Texas Tech, Virginia, Seton Hall, Kansas, Seton Hall getting Miles Powell back. So look, uh, you could put those in any order and I wouldn't be offended. (laughs) You know, uh, North Carolina, Carolina, Louisville, Maryland, that was my nine through 11. Once again, I've seen Maryland way up. I'm okay with that. Louisville, same thing. So I... I really think we're going to see a lot of fluidity, I think, really from 2 to 11. I think everyone's going to have, for the most part, Michigan State is number one. And then after that, you're going to see a number of different combinations over the next couple of months as people go through this exercise. You know, I went with Gonzaga or Florida, Gonzaga, Villanova, Xavier, uh, Purdue, Baylor, Ohio State, Utah State, Georgetown, who I'm really high on, Illinois once again. Auburn, Marquette, Washington, Arizona, VCU, Colorado, Wisconsin, Houston, Providence, Davidson, Tennessee, St. Mary's, Penn State, NC State, Creighton. I considered LSU, Florida State, South Carolina, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Cincinnati, South Florida, Oregon, Arizona State, New Mexico State, Kansas State, TCU, Syracuse, Vermont. I could add USC in there as well. Uh, So look, there's a lot of different variations that we'll see on this and uh, love the process of trying to sift through all that other big news last week rj hampton 
decided to go to over to, to play in New Zealand in an Australian basketball league rather than go to what uh, could have been Kansas, Memphis, Texas Tech, I think. The reality is it's his decision. I'm a big believer that if you don't want to play in college basketball, then don't. But you're never going to tell me that you are going to have more exposure playing professional basketball outside of this country rather than at least one season in college basketball. If your reason for doing this is you want to spend 24-7 playing hoops and you want a little money in your pocket now, that's great. More power to you. But don't think for a second that you're going to have more exposure because you will not. You know, my good friend Mike DeCourcy, uh, columnist for the Sporting News, Big Ten Network, said that the amount of time that R.J. Hampton was on ESPN announcing his decision is probably the most he'll get all year until next year when we talk about him for the draft uh, or when they do at ESPN. And he's right. Um, maybe someone goes over to New Zealand, Australia to do a story on him. Uh, and that's great. But it's not a trend because very few young men at that age are willing to go overseas and bypass college. When the rule comes back and they can go directly, you're going to get plenty of people you know, at the top, the skim in the top, we're going to go, maybe get drafted, maybe spend some time in the G League. But the trend of going overseas, Emmanuel Moutier, Brandon Jennings, Jeremy Tyler, I mean, th- th- there's just not that many guys that have done it. Some have had, obviously, success long-term, but you're just not going to get the same amount of exposure and ultimately, I think, make as much money out of basketball as you could based on the exposure that you're going to get through college basketball and being on that stage. And I will say this forever. Zion Williamson made more money by going to Duke for one year than had he not gone to Duke and just played in the NBA. I firmly believe that. Same reason Kevin Durant made more money because he played that one year at Texas. Then ultimately became one of the greatest players. So I believe that and will believe that. All right, great interviews, a lot of information, especially if you're a Kansas and Louisville fan. Two of the programs are going to be in the top 10, top 15 throughout the course of the season. Let's start off with Kansas head coach, Bill Self. And now joining me here in March Madness 365, the Hall of Famer, Kansas head coach, Bill Self. And uh, Bill, for the most part, I would say it's been a really good spring. If, if you could go three for four, it's a great batting average. Good from the free throw line. And basically, you get Yudok Azubuke back, which I didn't know if that was going to happen. You get Sylvie D'Souza back. Uh, we didn't know if that was going to happen. You get Devin Dotson back. And the only one you lost is Quentin Grimes. So it's a pretty good percentage. Uh, how do you feel about uh, of what all transpired over the last couple of months? Well, it, it, we, we needed some good things to happen. And, and certainly uh, they have. I mean, getting uh, we couldn't recruit anybody as good as those three. Uh, uh, regardless of, of, of who we're trying to recruit. Uh, uh, you know, I think all three of those guys have definitely have potential to be NBA players. And so, so getting Doe back, unfortunately, through injury, getting Silvio back, fortunately, through uh, an appeal process and, and getting Devon back just because he went through the process uh, with the pre-draft and, and didn't quite get the feedback that he was looking for, but gave him a lot of good stuff that, that he's got to get better at. Uh, I think it was all positive. And of course, uh, uh, Quentin, uh, pulled his name out of the draft, but, but has, has elected to, uh, uh, 
to transfer, you know, obviously wasn't wasn't good news for us. Uh, and we were hoping for a, a different result there, but we, we anticipated him staying in the draft. So uh, it turned it turned out pretty well for us. So I'm, I'm pretty pleased. All right. So let's go one at a time here with Yudoka first. Uh, where, where is he in terms of his injury rehab to where he could potentially return to that effectiveness that we saw at the beginning of last season before he got hurt? Well, he hasn't been full speed or contact yet. He, they let him put a ball at his wrist about the last four to six weeks, but no contact. But he should get a full release when we start back tomorrow. So he'll be back in tonight and unless something unforeseen happens, I haven't seen him yet. We start classes tomorrow. Then he can become, you know, get full contact. We'll probably bring him in slowly, but but he, he can start working out and, and certainly there shouldn't be any limitations. If he's good to go and let's speed ahead to next season, what is his potential at this point, you think, in his career? Well, I think he can be the the hardest back to the basket player to guard. You know, he's just so big and athletic and he's got soft hands. Uh and he was off to a pretty good start last year. Uh, had a had a really good opening game against Michigan State, and then you know was was basically hit and miss soon after that. But I mean, losing another year because this is the second year out of three that he hasn't been able to play, but basically nine games in a season. So so you know he, his growth has probably been stunted a little bit, but but at full potential, you know I I think he could be as good a back to the basket true five man as there is now. Now, granted, there's a lot of five men that can step away and 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 make a perimeter shot, that kind of stuff, and that's not what Doak does. But if you just talk about being able to patrol the paint, I, there there won't be many out there uh, that can do it like he can. Now, Silvio obviously was a part of your program, just not able to play, but he's got to be a little rusty. So this will be a great summer for him to get back into a routine and a rhythm. What could you expect from him come November, December? Well, I think I think Silvio could be a you know, all league player. I, I do. I, he's, he's really a, a man child when it comes to rebounding the ball, he's explosive. You know, his motor's not always turned up where it needs to be. And, and hopefully, you know, he'll, he'll be as motivated as ever to make sure that that changes. Uh, because when he's turned up, he can rebound the ball about as well as anybody uh, can really run. And, and, uh, but it, it'll be a little different for us because we'll be playing two primarily bigs, uh, and David McCormick too would be would be the throw. Those would be the three bigs that we primarily be playing, and they'd be rotating spots. But but if we do that, then 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 we're going to play with two bigs. And 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 you know the game is getting smaller and smaller. It seems like as we move forward, so we'll be kind of be an old style traditional type offensive team next year. Now you've told me this a thousand times before about these players that you know guards that maybe aren't as heralded and come in and they become Big Twelve Player of the Year, potentially National Player of the Year. Uh, what's the ceiling for Devin Dotson? I mean, how much can he be in that kind of grouping where he develops into that? Oh, I think he can be a, a challenge for Big 12 Player of the Year. I absolutely do. Uh, uh, I think that, uh, uh, you know, he, he's got to shoot the ball more consistently and, and things like that. But the reality of it is, you know, there's few out there that can match his speed or his toughness. And, and, and now that, you know, he'll be as hungry as ever now that he went through the process. And basically they told him, hey, you need to improve on some things. And so, which is good feedback. And that's what it's designed to do. And certainly uh, he is really motivated to get that done. So I, I do think, I think when you talk All-American or whatever, he has to be in the conversation. Uh, I know there's others out there that will, that do as well. But but I, I think he'll take a big step from an intangible standpoint between his freshman and sophomore year. And you mentioned freshmen. Uh, what are the chances that some of the freshmen could have a major impact on this group? I think they'll have to, Andy. Uh, you know, right now, as of today, 
we have 10 scholarship players, 10. And, and, uh, uh, I, I, I see, you know, with only 10, you know, that there's, there's going to be a mix and match. And of course we have three freshmen we recruited, uh, Tristan, Christian, and, uh, Mackie that, that, that are good players. I mean, they're heralded in their own way, but they're not, they're, they're not one of the top, you know, uh, 30 type or 20 type recruits that, that, that a lot of people read about all the time, but, but they're in that same mold with Devonte and Frank and they, it won't happen as a freshman. I don't do not believe, but before they get out of here, they could be very, very impactful players and all very good. But I, I see all three of them getting minutes this year and fitting into our rotation. So last year, first time in, you know, for some of these kids, almost like a generation <laughs> that you guys didn't win the big 12 outright. Um, you know, or you have a piece of a Texas Tech K-State tied for it, but you're right there despite all these issues and injuries and everything. You guys were right there to potentially get a piece of it. Um, how much has that driven you now and that hunger to get back and create a new streak? Well, uh, last year was a hard year. You know, people, you know, coaches, and, and we make a big deal about it, that, you know, uh, faces change, expectations do not. And, 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 but it's hard during the middle of a season. You, you go into the season where you're preseason one and, and you have Azabuki and you thought you had Silvio, although he never played, but you had Azabuki and, you know, we're undefeated with, uh, with, with Doak and, you know, beating, beating good teams, you know, Michigan State, Tennessee, Marquette. I mean, some, some real, really good teams. And, and even though they were close games, he, he was a difference maker. And when he went down, our, our ceiling was probably lower, even though we didn't we didn't allow our players to think that. But it was probably lowered a little bit, and so we end up having a good year. But it wasn't great by our standards at all. And 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 we finished third in our league. We were two games out, and then then uh, in the tournament, you know, we we got we got it handed to us pretty good by Auburn in the second round. So to me, it, it's hard to have a great season unless you actually play well when it counts the most the postseason. And and we, we didn't do that last year, but but I, I think we'll be more motivated than ever. And, and I think coming back on paper, you know, losing losing uh, Q, but primarily losing uh, Diedrich. You know, Diedrich was a, a terrific player for us last year, Diedrich Lawson. Losing those two will be losses, but I think the additions that we have, I, I think, could give us a chance to be in the mix again this year. Assuming it goes through officially, how much do you think the extended three-point line will affect maybe your team and, and the sport next season? You know, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about that. You know, how do we how do we guard ball screens now? Do we do it different? Do we... Do we try to go under majority of them? Uh, uh, I think I think there is going to be some strategy involved, and and, uh, and certainly uh, do that. We were not a good three point shooting team last year. Our numbers end up being average, but we really weren't. And on paper, you would think that would be our uh, biggest weakness going into the season offensively, with just being able to stretch it consistently. So I don't know if this, this may be a good year for them to move it back for us. You know, if if, if we're if we're not great from the college three last year, moving it back 15 inches, you know, that, that may not hurt as much, uh, uh, may hurt other teams more than us. Cause we may not shoot quite as many cause we're going to pound it inside obviously a lot, but I do think we can be a good shooting team in time, but I think we got to put a lot of work in this summer though. That, that to me is the one area of improvement that we need to see the most. And, and just going back to the big 12 for a second here, now that Texas tech, you know, has put together multiple seasons where they've uh, either been a high seed or, you know, gotten a piece of the title or in this case went to the national championship game. Uh, your thoughts on what Chris Beard's been able to do there and now how it, you know, fuels even more probably the fire at Kansas and even the whole league 
to have a, a another national type program that's going to be right there. Well, I think I think it's you know the the thing about it is it benefits all of us if there's success in our league. You know, I don't want the success to come at, on our behalf. Uh, uh, obviously, but, but, uh, I also think, you know, iron sharpens iron. So I want to see teams in our, our league do well. I just don't want them to do well at our expense. And so, uh, Chris, Chris and his staff have done a, I mean, remarkable job in a short amount of time. And they've got them playing, uh, with such, uh, uh, reckless abandon defensively and, and creating havoc and and uh, you know I don't I don't know that anybody could have done a better job in the short time he's been there than what he's done period he's, he's it's been it's been tremendous to watch uh, uh, him do that but I know that'll also raise our level as well and and you know we, we, our league has been so good from top to bottom and so balanced to, it's it's been you know it's a dogfight every night and, and anybody that studies our league knows that I I could be wrong on this but I think our RPI or net or whatever you want to go by is it's been like one or two in the last five or six years. I mean, it's been, been really, really good. And so to compete at the top, you got to be pretty good. And, and, and of course staying there is, is, is a real challenge as well. So uh, I don't see tech going anywhere. So th- this, this will be uh, something that our guys will certainly look forward to as, as they go through the off season, being able to compete with those guys and the other teams in our league that will continually get better. And Bill, last thing, obviously John Beeline goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. You, like Tom Izzo and countless other uh, of your brethren that are at this highest level or also in the Hall of Fame, you know, have had that those conversations, flirted with it. How tantalizing is it to just really sit down and think, okay, you know, do I want to do this? Do I want to leave the comfort of a place where, you know, I've established and, and in a sport where I, you know, have great success and sort of go to the unknown? Um, and, and so many of, you know, your, your colleagues – you know, I've had to think about this and then ultimately maybe not done it. And then we see, you know, it seems like there's always at least someone that will, will try it. And, and, and John Beeline's is, is the latest. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm happy with John. He's obviously been great for our sport and, and uh, has done a remarkable job there at, at Michigan. Uh, but I, I think everybody's different. I, I think certain people are motivated by different things. Uh, you know, historically the shelf life for a coach isn't what uh coach K or, or, uh, Coach Williams or Coach Izzo or Coach Beheim or even me. I've been here going on starting 17 years. I mean, that's 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 a little unusual. That's a pretty long shelf life. And some sometimes people think that, you know, they 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 have one more challenge or they want to make one more move or or this or that. And some people are totally content where they're at. And I happen to be in a place that 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 I don't really think that there's any place out there I'd rather be uh right now. I I really feel that way. So but you know. I, I do think it's it's something that's intriguing and, and something that everybody has probably pondered at, at some time or another. And I know that I have, but but I, I, I've always come back to the a place where, where uh, you know, what, whatever you believe your next job should be, can, can you make the one you're at that job with whatever challenges you think that you may want moving forward? Can you make the one you presently have if you're happy that same job and, you know, the NBA is something that you, you really can't do in college. So, so uh, if that's a goal, I can certainly see uh, why these guys have, have done it. And I can certainly see why everybody thinks about it. Well, Bill, always a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, and it's been overall a great spring. And I know you're looking forward to getting out there and seeing these guys uh, as they get ready for summer school in the first session of this week. Thank you, Bill. All right, Andy. And up next on March Madness 365, my conversation with Louisville head coach, Chris Mack. 
And now joining me here on March Madness 365, Louisville head coach Chris Mack. And the Cardinals are certainly uh, considered uh, one of the big winners in the early entry withdrawal process because they got uh, two of their main players back in Jordan Wara and Stephen Enoch. Uh, and now Louisville arguably should be and will be a top 10 preseason team heading into next season. So, Chris, uh, take me through the draft process about, you know, and I know you've gone through this before when you were at Xavier. Uh, so where you were in uh, the consultant aspect of this uh, as you're waiting to find out what Jordan and Stephen were going to do. Well, I just I wanted both of those guys, Andy, to, to use me as a resource. You know, certainly Jordan had an agent. Uh, Stephen did not. You know, the workouts that, that Stephen went through, uh, NBA teams for the most part, um, you know, give him a little bit of feedback after the workout. Uh, you know, Jordan's agent um, during the process, uh, Bill Duffy, uh, was getting feedback from teams. But, you know, Jordan was a little bit different in the sense that, um, you know, he wasn't able because of a minor calf injury. He wasn't able to do a whole lot uh, physically. And so I know he was disappointed and, you know, really wanted to be able to show teams what he what he was capable of doing. You know, and again, uh, myself, our assistant coaches uh, were on the phone with teams throughout the entire process, you know, in hopes that we could give Jordan and Steven the feedback, you know, that we'd receive. You know, we all have relationships with different NBA teams, whether it's, you know, general managers, whether it's scouts, uh, you name it. At the end of the day, each of those guys had to make a decision they felt were in their best interest uh, moving forward for their careers. So what do you think of this new process where the agent can be involved? We sort of, you know, the they're out of the shadows and they can be involved and are sort of a factor into this uh, decision process. You know, I think uh, it's uh, something that in some ways, Andy, is probably necessary. I think NBA teams were you know, getting aunts and uncles and moms and dads calling in and, and trying to arrange workouts. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, our players uh, are off campus because it's, you know, semester's over. And so they're back home or wherever they're training. And so it, it becomes a little bit difficult to, uh, you know, put together workouts and, and uh, you know, have a feel for, you know, what city guy's going to be in uh, and, and maybe what makes sense in terms of a workout schedule. So, you know, and they, obviously the agents are, are tied, you know, very closely to a lot of the teams. They have several clients, at least uh, a lot of the reputable um, and longstanding agents do. And so I think that they're, uh, they're a great resource to get accurate feedback, you know, from NBA teams individually. So I've been a big believer that, you know, a lot of these players have to sort of come to the realization on their own that it's either not going to happen, they're not going to be high enough pick. And as much as those of us on the outside, whether it's a coach, someone in the media can tell you you're not going to be picked, they need to sort of find it out for themselves. Um, and usually that means they're all back in when they realize, look, this is I'm not ready or I wasn't going to be picked. So I got to you know, focus on what I'm going to do you know, when I come back to the school. Uh, you, in your experience in the past, how much have you found that that player that sort of flirts with it comes back, you know, that he's got to be all in? or it may not pan out uh, when, it, when he comes back after sort of dealing with this process? Yeah, I think a couple things, um, you know, sort of uh, affect that, Andy. I think, number one, I think you as a coach ha have to do your job, and you have to make sure that, you know, expectations are outlined and, you know, favoritism isn't shown. I mean, certainly Jordan is our best player, uh, but he was extremely coachable a year ago, and uh, I expect nothing, you know, different – 
uh, this year, you know, and then I think secondarily, you have to be dealing with a high character person. And, uh, you know, fortunately, both Steve and Jordan, you know, they, they don't shortcut anything, whether they're in the weight room or they're running lines uh, during practice. Uh, those guys have, have always really shown through and being about the right things and, and being guys of character. And, um, you know, if that's the case and their heart will be in the right place. They'll play for their teammates. And, you know, I think Jordan made a very, very uh, mature decision, maybe one that a lot of guys might not have made uh, because he would have been drafted. And uh, I don't think there was, whether it was the advisory committee, whether it was agent, whether it was several uh, individual teams had told him that they felt like he would be an early to mid second round pick. And uh, maybe 10 years ago, that was an automatic to go back to school. Uh, you know, and I know uh, in 2019, that's not always the case. So I think he made a very, very mature decision for his long-term career. And, you know, Jordan's a worker. He's going to put in a lot of uh, sweat equity this summer. And I feel like he's going to come back and have a phenomenal junior year. So, Chris, you have plenty of job security, but what's it like knowing that, you know, if these decisions go the other way, you have a much better, much different team next season versus the way it went. And now you've got a chance to legitimately, you know, have a team that can compete for the top of the ACC and really make a deep run. And who knows what, you know, when we get to the NCAA tournament next March. So that that, that sort of line where you don't know which side you're going to be on for these couple of weeks. What's that like not knowing what your roster is going to be like and, and the potential for the team? Yeah, it's reality nowadays. I mean, uh, you're right. I still think, um, you know, whether Jordan and Steven wouldn't have been part of this coming you know year's team, I think we would have been a good team. Uh, I think we would have been uh, a more inexperienced team. But certainly we uh, bringing those two guys back were a lot more talented. And I, I just want, you know, our team has to understand that, um, you know, preseason accolades doesn't earn you anything. But, uh, you know, face it, we all want to win. You know, we all want to compete at a really high level and uh, ultimately hold up that trophy on a Monday night, get to a Final Four. And when you have better players, usually you put yourself and your team in a better situation to do that. You know, look at Virginia. They had a lot of experience coming back. Um, they had a lot of talent coming back. And, again, that's, that's just a starting point. You know, guys have to be able to play together, uh, play hard, play with a chip on their shoulder, and sustain that throughout the year and uh, – you know, I'd rather be in this position than not. What would you learn about your group of guys, you know, during and maybe after that Duke game? Because there was so much focus on it, the lead, losing the lead. And yep. and it really could have gone, you know, sideways. You guys did bounce right back, you know, with a win over Clemson right after that. But what did you learn about your, your team and how they had to handle a situation like that? It was tough. Uh, going through it was tough. The lock room afterwards was tough. The, the, the days after uh, were tough. Uh, not not to necessarily motivate our guys. They, they came to practice with the right attitude. But, um, you know, to have that type of lead on your home floor against one of the best teams in the country and, and not be able to enjoy it when, when you were the better team for whatever it was, 35, 36, 37 minutes, convincingly, was really, really tough to swallow. But, you know, that which doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. Um, I'm hoping that not only last year uh, in dealing with it, but moving forward, our players uh, will always know you got to play 40 minutes. Uh, you have to be able to close a game and believe in yourself in the toughest of tough moments. And uh, again, life lessons aren't always served, you know, on a, on a platter for you um, with roses. So we, we just have to learn from those type of experience and, you know, let it harden us. And I, I point to Virginia a year ago. I mean, 
Uh, they were probably dev- devastated in that locker room after UMBC, but it taught them a lot. And, um, you know, obviously much different circumstances, regular season, a lot of games to play. But uh, that was a very, very difficult one to swallow in. How helpless is it as a coach when there's literally nothing you can do and it's just it's evaporating before your eyes? Well, I'm in it with our guys. You know, there, there were some decisions that were made on the floor that hurt us. Um, there were decisions that, uh, that I made that hurt us. And we all had a part in, in not finishing the job. And, um, you know, it's got to learn from it. It's, it's a tough feeling as a coach. But, um, you know, you don't play at this level, you don't coach at this level and think that every night's going to be, you know, joyous and, and fun and celebratory locker rooms. There are going to be some really, really tough moments. And that's, you know, when you when you put in a lot of time and you invest a whole lot, those moments are going to hurt even more. So, Chris, we know that this Louisville program was not I mean, it was not at the bottom. Uh, obviously, there was some chaos, but things had settled, you know, by the time you got the job, uh, David Patch doing a good job in that interim uh, period. Uh, yet at the same time, as confident as you are, as established, uh, when you got there, I mean, how fast did you think you literally could turn this back into a program that could compete at the top of a league and a league like the ACC, that means you're going to compete at the top of the sport? Well, I didn't really um, try to forecast projections either to my team, to our coaching staff, to the public. You know, we, we wanted to establish uh, how we practiced every day. We wanted to be a tough team to play against, a team that played together. And uh, I thought our team, uh, by and large, did that a year ago. And, and, and that's, that's really what we were aiming to do. You know, we, we never said, hey, in 14 months or 15 months, we have to be there. We certainly believed in ourselves. And, you know, we kept working. And, uh, again, all, all these predictions are nice, but they, they really don't mean squad. And I've alluded that to, to our players. Um, you know, you could get a top 25, top 30 poll from a year ago, Andy, and you find about three or four teams didn't make the NCAA tournament on it. So, you know, we just have to understand what's in front of us. And that's, that's a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice to, to have a special year that, that we're more than capable of having. When everyone went against Xavier, they knew uh, what a Chris Mack Xavier team looked like, played like, and what they were going to get uh, out of playing against Xavier. At, at this juncture, uh, how much do you believe that now Louisville has taken on that identity, that personality that we saw that you had at Xavier? Oh, we're getting there. Um, and that's – that's a credit to uh, the guys in the locker room and, and guys that, uh, you know, graduated a year ago. You know, guys like Quan Four and, and Kristen Cunningham, and, you know, VJ King and Corey Gow who weren't on our team this year. But I, I can tell you that, you know, for us to, to be as dominant as we were on the defensive backboard with really playing just one big guy uh, in, in a monster league, uh, we're getting there. And, um, you know, I, I love the fact that our guys really bought in from the very beginning. Uh, they came to practice with the right attitude. And again, we haven't arrived, uh, but, but I think teams played us a year ago, even when we were in Barclays and we went 0-2 against Marquette and Tennessee. Uh, we were fighting tooth and nail uh, against those teams uh, that were top 15, top 20 teams at the start of the year. And so uh, I'm proud of the group that we had a year ago, how resilient they were, how much they believed in each other and our coaching staff. And I think uh, we're only going to get better after year one. All right, before I let you go, we just talked, obviously, about two big names. But, uh, you know, you lose someone like Kristen Cunningham, who was such a major part of that team last season. Um, what's the one position over the summer you're really going to be looking forward to seeing maybe a competitive aspect of 
you know, who vies for that position or, or a spot where you really know you need to see some growth before you reconvene uh, in the fall semester? Yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily a position um, like, hey, our two guard has to establish himself. Uh, I'm really uh, excited to see how our, our six freshmen acclimate to college basketball. It's a big jump. And, you know, for every Zion Williamson that there is out there, there's about a thousand guys that, uh, you know, the jump's a lot tougher. Yeah, but we have some very, very talented freshmen and uh, very coachable. I'm hoping our uh, uh, upperclassmen show those guys what it's like to be uh, an everyday guy. And so I'm really looking forward to, to watching our freshmen boss, not only in the preseason, but all throughout the year and see where that takes us. Appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. Thanks again for listening. And remember that you can go to NCAA.com and our March Madness social media handles to check out our top 25 contenders for next season's top awards by position. Bob Cousy Award for the point guard, Jerry West for the shooting guard, Julius Irving for the small forward, Carl Malone for the power forward, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the center. That's all on NCAA.com and March Madness. And next week, the week after, leading up to the NBA draft on our social media platforms as well. I'll be on the coverage on NBA TV from the Barclays Center on June 20th. So looking forward to that. And as always, we really appreciate you downloading your podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 